Hey everyone, my name is Hannah, and for this episode, we'll be talking with Love146. This episode of the Elm City Speaks podcast will address child trafficking and sexual assault. While there is no explicit discussion of these events, this may be harmful to some audiences. Today we will be interviewing Shirley, the Operations and Human Resources Manager at Love 146. I met Shirley through the Urban Fellowship at Dwight Hall. She's been a great resource and mentor. Love 146 is an international human rights organization working to end child trafficking and exploitation through survivor care and prevention. They have programs in the Philippines, the UK, and the US. By focusing on communication and collaboration, Love 146 aims to prevent child trafficking, support survivors, and educate the general public about the many forms of child trafficking. Love 146 was named by Rob Morris, the current CEO and founder of the organization. While working in Southeast Asia, Rob went undercover in a brothel in order to identify children that were being exploited. While most of the children sat watching cartoons, one young girl stared beyond the screen with defiant hope. The number 146 was pinned to her red dress. This was her only identification. This experience motivated Rob's work at Love 146. The name of the organization bears the perseverance and hope harbored in that young girl's spirit. Because of this, Love 146 works through the power of love, persevering and remaining hopeful, even in the face of severe human rights abuses. Even with its large international impact, some may wonder about Love 146's beginnings in New Haven. But we've actually been headquartered in New Haven um, since the very beginning, so since 2002. So we've been around for almost 18 years. Um, and the reason for that, people ask that question a lot of like, why are you all in New Haven? Um, our co-founders were based in Connecticut at the time that Love 146 was founded. Love 146's involvement in the New Haven community has shaped them into the organization they are today. But as Shirley explains, Love 146 believes there are still many opportunities for growth when it comes to community involvement. We, we partner with lots of, of organizations, right? It's, um, it's necessary because we're not, we don't know everything, we cannot do everything. Um, there's a reason why we're so specialized on um, not only this issue, but the demographic that we're choosing to work with and how we're choosing to work. Um, with that uh, with that population, right? We're focused on prevention and survivor care. There are other aspects um, to tackling this issue that we are not directly involved in because it's just not in our wheelhouse. And so we most certainly depend on other organizations to kind of fill in those gaps. Um, and so we do work with other anti-trafficking organizations maybe specialize in some other services um, that, that we don't provide, right? Um, we are very much involved with the Department of Children and Families um, in all, pretty much in, in most of the regions in Connecticut, definitely New Haven. Um, they are integral to kind of um, the services that we're able to provide because again, it's, uh, it, they're there to kind of fill those gaps um, where we don't kind of specialize in. So like housing, right? So DCF um, is able to step in and kind of provide assistance there. Whereas like, that's not something that we specialize in. Um, I think obviously, and, and you know, 
unfortunately, is that we, we, we have youth in, in New Haven, right, who, um, who receive services from us. And, and there's youth in um, many different areas in the state of Connecticut, which in the U.S. is where we have survivor care. It's actually the only state in the U.S. where we have um, a survivor care program. Um, but, but there are youth in, in, in different areas of the state, and I think in some areas that people are not expecting. So I think this kind of circle, circles back to the misconceptions that people have, that there's, um, you know, there's a specific uh, region or neighborhood or area where youth are getting trafficked. Um, but that's, that's not the case, that youth can, can be vulnerable in any location. And I think a big part of that is the internet, right? Um, that is, those barriers transcend uh, like geography. Um, I'm not sure if that's making, if I'm making any sense, but it certainly makes youth uh, vulnerable. Um, so, you know, we, we rely on, on a lot of other organizations. We serve youth in, in New Haven. Um, we, obviously we have supporters who are in um, New Haven. It's, it's because we've been here for so long, um, you know, I, this relationship with, with Dwight Hall, right? It's something that like I've, I've been connected to um, Dwight Hall for several years and um, I know Mark very well. And so it's those sorts of things um, that we kind of see when I think about kind of who we are within the community. Um, just to kind of be honest and reflective about this, I think we could do better, honestly. Um, I think I've heard, you know, from, from previous employees who are just like, you know, I've been in New Haven my whole life and I actually hadn't heard about Love 146, which is crazy, right? To think that we've been here for so long and um, our presence is a little bit less known. Um, I think a part of that is, may, is probably due to the, um, the international, like our international start where we started in, you know, in the Philippines and, and, um, and then in the UK and then shifted over to the US um, where we have like kind of several, uh, we operate in several states. Um, I think that probably contributes to it, it is that we're not solely focused on Connecticut or solely focused on New Haven. And so I think it's certainly an area of growth for us in terms of um, just building uh, better relationships, more relationships with folks directly in New Haven. Child trafficking is not solely an international problem, but occurs in the United States, UK, and every other country as well. The end of child trafficking should be a goal for all communities. The International Labor Organization estimates that about 40.3 million people find themselves in situations of trafficking um, or exploitation. So that goes for sex trafficking, that goes for labor trafficking, and forced marriages actually fall under that definition um, by the ILO. And so of that number, 25% of those people are children, right? And I think those two statements um, alone speaks to the need uh, for both prevention work um, and survivor care, which is kind of where we focus, focus on. Um, I think as to the question of why the UF, it's because it, it happens here, right? And I think there is misconception, there are misconceptions about where it happens and how it happens. And so one of those misconceptions is that it doesn't have to care. It's not a problem for us, um, but it absolutely is. And so that's kind of why it's important for us to have um, presence here in the U.S. And, and operations here in the U.S. 
Many portrayals of human trafficking in the media, movies, or TV often misrepresent the many forms of human trafficking, leading to misconceptions. I count myself as one of those people who had some of these misconceptions, right? Because um, I think a lot of people have perhaps a, a more narrow definition um, of trafficking. And so uh, kind of one of those misconceptions is that trafficking involves some form of physical violence or kidnapping, which is absolutely a form of trafficking. Um, but there's, there's actually a lot more to that. Um, so there's a term that we call, it, it's called grooming, right? And in a weird way, it's, it's really relationship building um, and kind of a, there's manipulation that kind of is mixed into all of that, um, but it preys on vulnerabilities. And so youth, which is the population that we work with, um, just the sheer fact that a, a child is a child, that's a vulnerability in and of itself, you know? And um, I would highly, highly recommend um, the End Child Trafficking web series that we actually did very recently. It's a two-part series and it's on our website, love146.org. Um, our prevention team did an excellent job distilling the key facts and, and the misconceptions that people have about trafficking, um, as well as how to recognize the red flags. I think when we talk about trafficking, something that I certainly just didn't have any notion of really, um, is just how tangled up it is in all of the other factors that can make anybody vulnerable, right? So we're talking racism, sexism, homelessness, food and financial instability, other forms of traumatic victimization, and, and the list goes on, unfortunately. You know, and those factors, um, they compound. And so that's something that, um, again, if you think that trafficking is, is, is a young, typically a young girl getting kidnapped, um, then you're not really thinking of these other factors. And that's, the, uh, that's another misconception that people have is that only girls get trafficked. Um, I did pull from our most recent annual report, uh, which has statistics about the youth in our care. Um, and this is, uh, this is globally. So um, in, in terms of like the gender breakdown uh, for youth in our care, it's about 13.5% um, of our youth in survivor care are boys, right? That number is not zero. So um, I think a lot of people will think that it's really just girls who are getting trafficked, um, that traffickers look a certain way. It's, uh, you know, a, a creepy guy kind of lurking, which again, absolutely there are those types of people. Um, but because of the complex nature, we kind of see other types of people who can be traffickers, right? Um, I think some of those are some of the major misconceptions that I certainly had uh, coming into the organization um, and something that I kind of learned very quickly were untrue in maybe like the first four minutes I was um, at Love 146. Acknowledging one's own misconceptions about human trafficking is crucial to ending the exploitation of children. Additionally, one must consider how intersectional identities may make children more vulnerable to trafficking. It's, it is really hard to talk about trafficking without also talking about the racial dynamics at play, right? Um, with 50% of our youth um, are actually uh, black and brown children. Right, so clearly there's, there are racial disparities um, within the, the kinds of youth that get trafficked. Um, and so we are, we're keenly aware of how race plays into, into trafficking even before kind of everything that has been going on this year. But I think, um, again, with, with any 
I mean, I hope every organization and company and institution is really thinking hard and really thinking concretely of how to support BIPOC individuals. Love 146 has always been focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, recognizing the identities that make children vulnerable to traffickers. Children of color and those in the LGBTQ plus community are trafficked at higher rates than their peers. Understanding this is crucial to the work at Love 146. The organization holds monthly lunch and learn to discuss topics of inclusion, including race and gender identity, to equip staff with the tools to create a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment for staff, students, and survivors. DEI work at Love 146, um, I think again, it's been up until a few years ago, it's probably been more informal where we recognize it in kind of how youth are victimized um, and that you know black and brown youth are disproportionately uh, affected by this issue. But in terms of you know how we tackle it internally within the organization, um, that's been pretty recent. Um, the DEI committee was uh, created, uh, oof, I wanna say like three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, so very recent in, in the organization's history. Um, and man, is it hard? Like it's, it's hard and it will always be hard. And, and I think at least I'm learning to, to kind of accept that fact that I'm always gonna have to be uncomfortable, um, especially as somebody um, who holds some level of privilege, right? Um, I'm always gonna have to be <laughs> uncomfortable and, and, and that's how it should be. Um, but we are, you know, very much committed to, to continuing what has been like kind of sparked by like the events of the summer, right? By the, the murder of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and, and to, to not just let it be like a thing that, you know, okay, we, we talked about it in the summer and there was all of this energy and all of this, like everything stopped and we all of a sudden realized that like racism has been this issue. It's like, we want to be able to continue beyond this year and to, into like forever, right? Like we should always be talking about this. This is so important, not just because of what we do and the, the youth that we serve, but also for ourselves, right? Obviously, conversations of diversity, equity, and inclusion are ongoing at Love 146. This is just one of the ways Shirley has witnessed growth in the organization. In the last four years, I feel like I've been here at a really, uh, just like a unique time for, for Love 146. Um, as I mentioned, we've been around for about 18 years, um, and there's a there's a there's a statistic out there somewhere, and I'm sorry that I cannot cite it, but that that 17% of nonprofits don't make it past their 10th year, right? There's like um, that that there are some nonprofits that just don't make it out of the startup phase, um, and so Love 146 started um, as I would imagine many nonprofits start as a grassroots organization where you just have like people who are just so passionate about a thing, um, about um, doing something and coming together and they just figure it out. They just figure out what to do, how to do it. It's so scrappy and resourceful and amazing and beautiful and totally necessary for, I think, just jumpstarting um, as an organization, right? I think I've come in um, into this part of Love 146's history where we are wanting to retain all of the, the beautiful things about that, all the wonderful things about that, while also kind of growing up 
Um, I would say like we're in our like awkward teenage years, right? It's weird. We got some acne, but like we're a full grown, almost a full grown adult. And so we're just trying to figure out like, who do we want to be, right? What kind of an organization do we want to be? How do we want to do what we do? Um, the vision of Loan 46 has never changed, right? It is the end of child trafficking and exploitation. It will always be that vision. Um, but I think the how is what's currently developing, right? And so when I think about um, the thing, some of the things that like keep me around and the things that I'm really proud of is uh, the, the, the way that we value people, right? So we value, of, of course, we value the youth that we're serving. Um, we value the youth that we are trying to prevent from being trafficked, right? So these are youth that have not yet been victimized and hopefully will never be victimized. Uh, there's a value for the people that we partner with. Like there's, there's no way we could do what we do without those people, without these other agencies and organizations. Um, we value the, the people who have volunteered and the people who have donated either their time or their money or like, you know, uh, donated items, right? Um, and, and we value the people who are within the organization as well. That's something that that really struck me. Um, and I would contrast that with my experience um, at this talent agency that shall go unnamed. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with kind of the culture of a talent agency. Um, it can be quite toxic. Um, and there's there doesn't seem to be a value for like the dignity of a person. Um, and I really don't mean that as hyperbole. It is, it's, it is quite like that. Um, and so, what I see here at Love 146 is the opposite of that. It's, it's, it's extreme value for, for a human, no matter who they are, what they look like, what they've done, um, what has happened to them, right? And so that's something that I'm so proud to be a part of and to, you know, hopefully I can just be here forever, but if I ever had to go elsewhere, um, that's something that I hope to carry with me um, and to kind of help infuse into another organization or into another space. If you're interested in supporting Love 146 in their pursuit to end child trafficking, both in the U.S. and abroad, here are some things you can do. In terms of like getting involved in like anti-trafficking anti work, um, I do think uh, continuous education is really key, right? Whether it's um, staying up to date with kind of what we're doing and, and what we're tackling and some of the things that we're seeing, right? Signing onto our mail, mailing list. Um, if you don't like us, for, and that's totally fine. Like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be 1146 if, if you would rather um, uh, keep up to date with other organizations, that's a great way to do it. And it's, it's kind of a passive way, right? You just like add yourself to an email list um, and we pop up occasionally. Um, so staying, staying educated, I think, uh, again, as the HR lady, like, you know, joining the Love 146 team and actually being a part of um, what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You can learn about other volunteer opportunities at love146.org. Thank you. This has been Elm City Speaks, a Dwight Hall podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.